I don't know how long ago it was, but there's a true story of a guy named John Payton. His wife and he were missionaries over in the Hebrides Islands, is in the South Pacific. And one night, he and his wife, uh, their house was surrounded by uh, natives that I guess didn't like the message they were teaching, and they planned to kill them. They uh, surrounded the house with torches, and they were going to burn it. And the Paytons prayed all night long that God would protect them, would keep their life. And in the morning, they looked out the window to see the natives running as fast as they could away. And they didn't know why. They went outside. It was just them. And about a year later, they didn't know until about a year later, the chief of the tribe became a Christian. And Peyton asked him, I said, why, uh, why didn't you all burn us out that day? Why, why did you spare our lives? Why did you run away? And the chief kind of looked at him funny and said, who were all those, those men that you had there with you? And he said, it was just me and my wife. And the chief said, well, we, we saw uh, large men, hundreds of them, surrounding your house wearing white clothes, and they all had swords drawn. And the, uh, the natives took off, scared them to death. And only then did Peyton realize that what had happened was God took the supernatural veil away just for a second to let those natives know what they were in for if they were going to attack those two Christians. That's encouraging. You know, Steve was given the, the figures there about the number of angels. Don't know how many there are, but that there would be hundreds around just two Christians is encouraging. Encouraging to me. It's a popular thing, as Steve was mentioning, to talk about angels today. You know, it wasn't always that way. Uh, you know, people, I'm sure may, many of you could stand up and share a story of how someone miraculously survived an accident or there was something that just couldn't really naturally be explained um, that happened. But angels were not very popular a couple hundred years ago during the uh, Enlightenment period where we got smarter. And we didn't, uh, people during that time didn't believe in angels, kind of like the Sadducees during the days of Jesus. were too rationalistic to believe in the supernatural like resurrection and angels. People a couple hundred years ago were like that. But kind of the uh, resurgence, I guess you could say, or the coming up again of uh, pantheism, which is basically called the New Age movement today, angels have become a whole lot more popular than, uh, than they used to be. Books are even far worse uh, in our culture today at, at describing angels. They usually do a very poor job. Uh, this is one that I found in the trash and pulled it out for an illustration. Kathy had thrown it away. But uh, it's called The Littlest Angel. And I just want to read the first paragraph of this to you. You ever heard of this? This is a classic, by the way, for kids. First paragraph. Once upon a time, many years ago, uh, there was in paradise a most miserable, thoroughly unhappy, and utterly dejected cherub who was known throughout heaven as the littlest angel. There's error number one. <laughs> and we could go through and we'd probably end up about 50. He was exactly four years old and tells how old he was, etc. And I won't read the whole thing, but 
This thing is, is very imaginative, un undoubtedly, but it is not true regarding angels. And to read something like this to kids is, is going to give them the idea that it is true. Movies, not only books, but movies give false uh, ideas of what angels are like. We have all kinds of movies. Angels are a very popular movie theme. You've got the remaking of The Bishop's Wife, Whitney Houston's The Preacher's Wife, has uh, the angel Dudley in it, who, you know, his, his idea, who, who's laughing? That's my name. Dudley is my first name. So we'll have, we'll have none of that. <laughs> oh, it is kind of a funny name. You know, first day of school, my whole life, you know, I go by my middle name, Wayne. Uh, and first day of school was always my worst. Dudley, uh, Wayne, please. <laughs> anyway, the angel Dudley in this movie wanted to, uh, his, his job, he was a human who came back and his job was somehow to earn his wings. Had to do a good deed before he could do that. Somehow he as an angel longed for the things that this other guy had as a human. This would never happen. Uh, in, the, in our favorite Christmas movie, what is it? Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Remember the little angel in that that saved him from jumping off the bridge? His deal was to earn his wings. He had to do a good deed first. This is false. This is not the way angels work. When we die, we don't become angels. This is a very popular misconception of, of what happens when we die. We are not angels when we die. Angels are angels. And people or Christians, we could say, uh, those who are saints, stay saints. People stay people when you die. And it, but you live in a different form, a glorified form, but it's different. But movies all over the place today. You've got uh, television things, the highway to heaven, the... Uh, Touched by an angel. You've got movies, angels in the outfield. Uh, a very popular subject, but most of the time they miss the boat. They kind of substitute doctrine for drama and miss the boat. So what we want to do today is to look at what the Bible says about angels. Calvin and Hobbes, I saw a uh, cartoon some time ago, my favorite cartoon. It was so sad when this thing discontinued. But Calvin says, I think angels are everywhere. Hobbes says, you do? He says, yeah, they're on calendars, books, greeting cards, almost every product imaginable. And Hobbes says, what a spiritual age we live in. Spiritual true, but a truly spiritual, a biblical spirituality is, is different. We gave you a yellow sheet, and this is going to be helpful for you uh, to either follow along. But we're not going to be turning, I'm not going to ask you to open your Bible any today, though all of what we'll be talking about is from the scriptures, because we're going to be moving so fast. As Brian said, this is going to be really a survey, and on a topical study such as this, we're not looking at just one passage, we're going to be looking at a whole bunch. So it would be more frustrating than fruitful for you to try to keep up in the scriptures. So you've got this you can look at, you can look at the screen, but mainly we provide this for you when you go home so you'll have it on, uh, on what the truth about angels. We're not going to look today at the world's view. We're not going to look at the book's view, at Hollywood's view, not even Michael Landon's view. We're going to look at what God has to say about the creatures that he created we call angels. What are angels? The Bible tells us they are created beings made before the earth. Psalm 148 says, Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Hosts, very often, is substitute for the word angels. 
Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. The angels were created. And they were created before the earth was. God asked Job, Job 38, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together, and the angels shouted for joy. So the angels were there shouting for joy, praising God when he made the earth. So when we have in Genesis 1, in the beginning, when it says it's the beginning as far as we're concerned, not as far as angels, not the beginning of God's creation, period. Angels were created before the beginning we're talking about. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Angels were around before that. This is why, incidentally, you see uh, Satan, or the serpent, in Genesis 3, who is an angel, a fallen angel, already there and already fallen, right after the creation of man and woman. So, they are created beings made before the earth. You know, the Bible mentions angels over 200 times. There's no way we'll be able to go through all, and there is some the stuff about angels that I'm going to have to leave out today because this is really just a survey of what angels are like. We get the word angel from the Greek word agelos. It means a messenger. It kind of gives us a hint of what they do. They're, they're messengers of God. So not only are they created, but they are also innumerable. There's a little girl named Norma one time, eight-year-old, wrote to God and asked, how many angels are there in heaven? I'd like to be the first kid in my class to know the answer. Well, Norma, the Lord has told us in the scriptures here, they are innumerable, but individually created to live forever. In other words, they don't reproduce. God made each one, each innumerable one he created. In Luke, they're described as a multitude. In Psalm, as myriads, thousands upon thousands. In Matthew, Jesus says more than 12 legions. Revelation, myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Hebrews says that they are innumerable. Jesus said in Matthew 22, In the resurrection they, meaning people, neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Doesn't, he doesn't say we will be angels, but we are like angels in that we don't marry. We don't reproduce. There is no procreation of angels or of people in heaven. And they live forever. Luke 20 says, for neither can they die anymore. They are like the angels. They live forever. So God has made an innumerable amount of angels. Thousands upon thousands, we're told. Myriads upon myriads. Many, many, many individually, by simply speaking, by simply commanding, and they will live forever, eternal. Now before we go on, we need to mention, as I alluded to when I mentioned Satan, that angels, the general term angel, refers not just to uh, the good angels, the little babies with wings that we see flying around on greeting cards, but also refers to fallen angels, or what you might say is the literal hell's angels, the angels of hell. Both heaven's and hell's angels are part of the angelic realm. Satan, or Lucifer, would be a, a, uh, one of the fallen angels. We're going to look at him next week. Uh, we could talk about him today, but I want to, to devote a whole Sunday, a whole 
message next week to talking not only about Satan, but about what a believer, a Christian, can do to, uh, to oppose Satan or to defend himself against the attacks of the enemy. Now, if you're not a Christian, uh, more than likely the devil will not attack you because you're on his side. You're not going against the flow. So he has no, no desire to do anything. You're already where he wants you. But you know what I think is the best news I've ever heard? Though so while we were all born under the devil's authority, none of us have to die that way. Jesus Christ loved us so much that he came and died on the cross for our sins, for what would keep us out of heaven, being imperfect. And then he rose again on the third day, on that first Easter, to show that his death on the cross was sufficient to pay for our sins. So that anybody who places their faith in Jesus Christ has forgiveness of sins, no longer under the authority of Satan. Paul said in Ephesians, we've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son by simply faith. So if you are not a Christian, I would invite you, urge you, to begin trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. The demons we are going to look at first. That is, who, what, what are they? What about them? They are fallen angels who rebelled with Satan. Again, we're going to look at Satan next week and what this fall was. But look at a future event here. This has not happened yet. This is a future event in Revelation 12. The great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Now this is a future event. This is not speaking of the fall of Satan initially that I'm talking about here. And I show this because the Bible does not discuss in detail the fall of the angels. The angels are more of an uh, extra that we get to learn a little bit about. God is primarily through the scripture focusing on his relationship with us. And every time we get a little peek at an angel, we get some information, but we don't have all we'd like to know. One of the things we don't know all about is the fall of the angels. But a clear implication in what will happen in the future is what happened in the past. We know why Satan was kicked out. And that all of the angels, notice they're called his angels. Satan and his angels. Implication is they follow his lead. That he deceived those angels. But look at a statement that Jesus made in Luke 10. It gives a little more a clear explanation of what actually did happen in the past when the angels fell with Satan. This is uh, the end of a short-term, what you might call a short-term mission trip that Jesus sent 72 of his followers out on. They came back and they say, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan falling from heaven. I have given you authority to trample uh, on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, uh, you do not rejoice that spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, I read this to show how did Jesus respond when they came up to him and said, the demons submit to us. He says, I saw Satan fall. The clear implication is that the demons followed Satan's lead. The demon followed Satan's lead. 
Some demons roam on the earth and wreak, wreak the havoc that we see so much in our society, so many of the accidents, so much of the false doctrine, as we will see. But some of them, we are told, uh, when they sin, God locked them up and has got them there and is going to keep them there until judgment. If you remember, if you were with us a couple of years ago when we went through Second Peter, this is what Peter taught us. In uh, chapter 2, verse 4, he said, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. Demons are also subject to the power of Christ. Once again, I think uh, Steve mentioned, they are subject to the power of Christ. How did they respond? Jesus asked them in Luke 8, what is your name? He, he was talking to a man who is possessed now by demon-possessed. And the man answered, Legion, for many demons had entered into him. And they were entreating him not to command them to depart into the abyss. The abyss is this gloomy dungeons that Peter spoke of before. Notice they had to, they had to beg Christ. They're under his authority. They're subject to his power. Now the Bible speaks in no place of the demonic possession of a believer. We don't see it a whole lot today, at least here in America. It comes under, we see it a lot in foreign countries. But uh, I don't know why, we don't have a whole lot of it here, at least we don't see a whole lot. Somehow, I guess the media weeds it out. But no place does the demonic possession of a Christian ever shown in the Bible, or an Old Testament saint in the Old Testament. Never are, does the Spirit of God indwell the same person as an evil spirit. They do not cohabit together. When Jesus came into the temple, he cleansed it out because there was sin. And in the book of Ezekiel, the Holy Spirit of God left the temple because there was sin. He could not dwell with sin. And the Holy Spirit and the evil spirit would not dwell together. So if you are a Christian, if you have trust in Jesus Christ, you can never be demon-possessed. But... You can be oppressed by the enemy. He can bother you, especially if you are not walking with the Lord, if you do not, are not uh, praying for protection from, from the evil one. But that is more rare than the way that demons affect the world mostly today, and that is by teaching false doctrine, teaching lies, and deceiving many. Paul told us in 1 Timothy 4, the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Notice their method. Deceitful spirits. They deceive. They make you think something is true. They hand you something that looks good, but it's a lie. It's deception. Back in 1823, there was a guy named Joseph Smith who said he saw an angel from heaven. It gave him kind of an updated version of Christianity. Kind of negated a few things that the Orthodox Church for a thousand years, almost 1,800 years, had, uh, had thought was right. And that is that Christ is not really God, that Christ is a spirit brother of Satan, that you don't get to heaven by uh, faith in Jesus Christ, but by good works. What did Paul say in Galatians 1? That even if we are an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. We're going to see next week that often Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. What if he came up, you know, like, like the movies show him, you know, all ugly and everything. Who's going to believe something he says? 
But if he comes to you in the form of something appealing, you know, deceiving. Joseph Smith, I believe, fell for it. And uh, Paul clearly says, though, if you know the truth, you won't be duped by the doctrines of demons. The, the, the many thousands of world religions that we have uh, now are evidence of the many thousands of doctrines of demons that have been spread throughout the land, throughout the world. Deceitful spirits. Well, I was on the internet this week looking for some images that I'll show you here in a few minutes of angels, looking for some images of angels. I came across a website uh, that told me how I could uh, talk to my own personal guardian angel. I thought, meh, I've never done that. See, see what it has to say. Listen to this. This is called Guardian Angel Exercise. And there's what? Six steps. You ready? We don't have this in your bulletin, so you might want to write this down. Find a quiet spot to sit for a moment. Two, close your eyes and imagine you can feel the presence of your guardian angel. If you could see this angel, what would it look like to you? Any shape or form is fine, for your angel will take on the shape you need the most, the form you want to see. Your angel encourages contact from you and is quite willing to mold its form into a shape that you find comfortable. Three, imagine that this angel is smiling, that this angel is radiating love which surrounds you with comfort, safety, and security. Four, imagine that your angel is saying to you these words, It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> for it is all right for you to be who you are, to think what you think, and to feel what you feel. Five, if there's something else that you would like your guardian angel to say to you, something that is loving, that holds no judgment, only love, a greater love than you have ever experienced in this lifetime, then imagine your angel saying this to you. Six, thank your angel for this gift. And know that the words that your angel has said and the feeling of comfort th the, uh, the angel has brought you, this feeling of safety, is yours. You can tap into this at any time, any place, through the use of imagination. To imagine that your angel is there, you tap into the reality that your angel is there. Through the use of your imagination, you begin to develop a relationship with guardian angels or with other higher beings and angels around you. I emailed the lady who was the contact for this website and asked her, where do you get your information about angels? And she emailed me back and she says, quote, I have gotten them from various books, the net, and personal conversations with angels who have visited me. Now, I don't doubt that angels visited her. I don't doubt it. And I don't doubt that angels visit a lot of people. And I don't doubt that they appear to a lot of people just like this, this soft, cushy, you know, make you feel good stuff. Because then you are attracted to it. And the more you begin to envision and imagine all this cushy, gooey, marshmallow, angel type of stuff, you, you begin to trust. And eventually that angel is going to tell you to leave your wife. 
Eventually, that angel is going to tell you to do something else that is contrary to the will of God. But good grief, my angel, he's been with me all this time. I've got to trust him. Paul says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. The basis of your truth ought not be a vision or a revelation or some kind of an angel, angelic experience. It ought to be the Bible where God has clearly communicated to us. The Apostle Paul said in Colossians 2, Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. That verse totally describes this. In, in, uh, inflated without cause by your mind. She's saying, imagine this. You're taking your stand on a vision. That is the basis of what you believe. A vision that you've conjured up in your own mind. Paul says, let no one defraud you. Let no one rob you of what, will, what ought to be yours, your prize, by teaching this false doctrine. If you believe something, now hear me, if you believe something that is contrary to what this book teaches, you are being duped by a demon. You say, well, gosh, Wayne, that sounds pretty severe. Well, it is. It is the truth. Doctrines of demons are everywhere. Anything that holds itself up against the beauty and the truth of God's revealed word is a doctrine of a demon. Even our concept of good angels, the demons have kind of messed up. These are, these are the images that I've downloaded. We've had some trouble with our, uh, our hookup this week. Last week when all the stuff we did, we unplugged a bunch of wires and not real sure how to get them all back together yet. So when we do, uh, we'll be able to see a little better. But let me describe you what's happening. This white blob there in the middle with, with hair is an is an, an angel, and uh, these are, I guess, cougars or lions there with her. But what I want you to notice here is, is the, there's nothing really evil in this picture, is it? It's peaceful, gives you the idea that everything's okay, doesn't it? This next one's good, too. This big blob over here to the left is, uh, I guess, like mama angel, and then all these little blobs underneath are babies with wings that are following her. Now, this, um, this isn't obviously in the scripture, but uh, there's nothing really evil about the way this looks. I mean, instantly, if you know what the Bible teaches about angels, you say, well, that's wrong. But the point is, it's alluring. These angels, uh, this kind of a teaching is alluring. It, it sucks you in. So there's nothing wrong with that. Even our concept of angels a lot of times is like the painter Raphael. Okay, next is uh, little babies with wings. You know? Isn't that sweet? We even got a postage stamp now with a little baby with wings on it. This is not what the Bible shows us that, that holy angels look like. In fact, the Old Testament talked about a God uh, slaughtering a nation with, uh, with an angel. Can you picture these little babies? You know, doing that? This is totally against what the Scripture reveals. 
that angels look like. So, we could go on about, uh, about demons and all that. We're going to be talking about the king of the demons next week, Satan. So, we're going to kind of hold off. Now, I want to talk about holy angels, or the ones who are on our side, Lord willing. First of all, the Bible teaches they are very powerful, much more than men, and, and certainly less than God. In 2 Peter 2, we're told uh, of certain false teachers, bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings, meaning demons. Yet even angels, meaning good angels, although they are stronger and more powerful than men, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. Even good angels, who are much more mightier than, than we are, even they don't slander demons. They say, rather, may the Lord rebuke you. So why do we try to take demons head on? I, I've never understood this. That even the, the angels who are stronger than us don't do that. They, they let that be the, the Lord's problem, not ours. They are very powerful, much more than men, much more than us. Secondly, holy angels worship God and rejoice when a sinner repents. Isaiah 6 is a beautiful... Uh, we're just showing you a few verses here from it, but you ought to read the whole thing. It's beautiful. Where Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of His robe filling the temple. And seraphim stood above Him. And one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Isaiah witnessed these seraphim, uh, who are angels, worshiping. Not only that, the Lord Jesus tells us in Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, he says, In the same way I tell you there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You know, if, if you have trusted Jesus Christ, or if you would trust Jesus Christ, the angels rejoice at that. The angels rejoice at that. There is joy in the presence of God. You know, it's kind of neat to know that when I trusted Christ, that angels rejoiced at my decision. And I think one reason that they do is because God has given them the pleasure, or I should say the privilege, of being a part, of preserving me to the point of coming to know Christ, and also preserving me uh, from the point on until I die. Because angels, holy angels, also minister to whom God selects. This is where we get the teaching or the doctrine of guardian angels. It's a real thing. This is one thing that is true, um, that we often will see. There are guardian angels to select individuals, first of all, the children. Matthew 18, Jesus says, See to it that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. Children have guardian angels who continually see the face of God. They also ministered to Christ when he was on earth. At his temptation in Matthew 4, after the devil left him, angels came and attended him. He had been fasting 40 days, probably gave him some food or something. 
but they, they assisted him, they attended him. And in Matthew 26, Jesus' statement to Peter, he says, Do you not think that I can appeal to my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? You know, angels were present at almost every single major event in the life of Christ. At his birth, they, they had, a, they had a, a participation in his birth, in his, in his flight to Egypt when he fled from King Herod, at his temptation that we just read. Uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, they attended him as well. Uh, at the Ascension, they were there when he rose up to heaven. At the resurrection, they were there. An angel came and rolled back, a st back the stone and sat on it. Um, they will have a part to play in what's called the rapture, when, which could happen at any moment when Christ calls his church to heaven. And then seven years later, at the, at the second coming, that Christ and all his angels and all his saints will follow Christ down to rule on the earth for a thousand years. Angels have played a major part in the life of Christ as well. And also, they minister to Christians. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve uh, those who will inherit salvation? This is where the doctrine of, of uh, guardian angels is probably best uh, proven as far as an, an epistle, a letter. This is where you get lots of stories of miraculous savings. Kathy said she saw a bumper sticker. Um, some time ago that said don't fly any faster or don't uh, drive any faster than your guardian angel can fly. Which you wouldn't want to do anyway because an angel, Ezekiel says, can move as fast as lightning. You wouldn't want to drive that fast anyway. But, uh, you know, because of what Scripture says, you know, I can confidently say that there are angels here today. We can't see them, you know. We can't touch them. We can't hear them unless God were to take away the veil, as He has done sometimes in, in the past uh, for people. But they're here. We can't see them. And we probably wouldn't want to, for one reason, because every time someone sees an angel in the Bible, it scares, scares them to death. They're terrified. Plus, we also wouldn't want to see what they're doing. It's probably pretty hideous, because they battle with demons in answer to prayers to God. I don't know if you've ever read in Daniel chapter 10. If you haven't, you ought to make that be your uh, special time with God in the next couple of days. It is a wonderful chapter that talks about how God uses angels. And I want to read a big chunk of it here for you. And look, at, look at this. This is, this is the most detailed description we have of an angel in the whole Bible. Daniel says, At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. Remember that, three weeks. I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite. This is a very bright element, very bright uh, substance. His face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I had no strength left. This is a typical response. I had no strength left. My faith, face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. In other words, he passed out. A hand uh, touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed. Can you imagine being told that by an angel? You are highly esteemed. I'd probably pass out again. 
you are highly esteemed. Consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up, trembling. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. Now, how long had he prayed? Three weeks. He said, From the first day that you started praying, three weeks ago, I, I was summoned to go, come to you in response to your prayer, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days, three weeks. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, uh, the archangel of heaven, came to me because I was detained there with the prince of Persia. You see what's happening? We, ha we learned now some of the verses I've left out here, but this is Gabriel talking to Daniel. And he says to him, as soon as you prayed, I was summoned to come and give you the answer, but it's taken me three weeks because I've been fighting with the prince of Persia. I've been fighting with a demon for three weeks, and it took Michael to come and help me that I could come to you. So he said, do you know why I've come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. In other words, another demon's going to come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince, meaning your guardian angel. In fact, Michael is the guardian angel of the nation Israel. You know, only Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer are the only three angels we have names of in the whole Bible. We're not given as much information as we'd like on these guys. But this is a fascinating peak into a realm that we do not see, into battles that, that happen all around us that we do not see, that we probably wouldn't want to see. These incredible beings fighting with one another in answer to prayer. Amazing. But so what? What about angels? Angels and us. What, what difference should it make in our lives? Well, first of all, demons we fight with prayer and God's word. We need not fear them. We need not fear them. We're going to be talking about this much more next week as we talk about Satan. But suffice it to say, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, our struggle is not simply physical, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's where the real fight is. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God, not your own, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. And we're going to talk next week about that armor of God and what that is and how to put it on. But we can suffice it to say that a nice summation of that armor is prayer and the Word of God. If you know the Word of God, you will not be deceived by the doctrines of demons. If you don't know it, you could be deceived. You pray why? That not that you may denounce these demons, but so that the Lord may graciously send angels to do the battle that you cannot do. Holy angels. Plus, we are not to fear them. John tenderly tells us, 1 John 4, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Secondly, good angels contrast to demons, good angels will one day be ruled by believers. Do you know that? And if you're a Christian, one day you will be ruling angels. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases, meaning here and now? Do you not know that we will judge angels? 
how much more the things of this life. Now he's telling them, if you're going to be judging angels and judging the world, surely you've got enough confidence to work out your fights among yourself. That's the context of what he's saying. But the little peek that we also get is that when, when Christians are ruling in the kingdom of God beside Christ, that angels will be subject to, to Christians. That's amazing. There are servants now that we don't see them and they don't respond to any orders we give. But one day we will see them and they will respond. But how about some shoe leather to this, what you might call, theological heady message, information? Here's something we can do. Good angels, we may well feed them supper. Okay? You can feed them supper. How do you do that? You say, man, boy, church has gone liberal. No, no. Let's read the verse. So, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. I love the application the Bible gives us regarding angels. Basically is, don't worry about what you can't completely understand. Do what you know you should be doing. Be in prayer, be in God's word, and be hospitable to strangers. Let the love of Christ not just be something that's in your head, but let it be in your heart and let people see it. Be hospitable to strangers. He says, you may, have, you may have even been hospitable to an angel without even knowing it. I wonder how many angels have gone through vision ministries here at Two Doors Down. No kidding. The strangers go through there all the time. I wonder how many of them were angels that they ministered to. I wonder how many angels I have shut the door on, so to speak. You know? We are not given, we are never told to seek angels. We are never told to pray to angels. We're never told to do anything like that. Whenever they occur in the scripture, it's always a surprise to whom they occur. They never sought them. They aren't to be sought. And if you want a good application from a message on angels, that is, share the love of Jesus Christ with a stranger. You never know, it might be an angel. I would ask for you to pray for me and my family next week especially because uh, of the message title. Whenever we do anything about the devil or demons or something like that, there's always, he doesn't cotton to that. And he didn't like the truth of his methods being made known. Uh, and so he's probably going to try to oppose. So I, I do ask for your prayers for our safety and for clear thinking on my part and also for all those who serve, Brian, and all those who serve week in and week out here, that the Lord would protect us especially this next week, because we're going to be talking about something that directly conflicts with the enemy of our souls. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks that you have protected us and you have given at least us life up to this point, that we may continue to share the love of Jesus Christ who so graciously gave his life in payment for our sins. And I thank you that you've also spared the life of one, maybe several, who are here today and have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ, who will one day stand before you to give an account of the sin in their life and they will have nothing to say. Pray you move in their heart that they might trust in you. We also thank you, Lord, that you've provided angels to protect not only our children, but us as well, those of us who will inherit salvation guardian angels who do the battle that we cannot do against the evil forces 
of Satan. And I pray that you would help us to love one another, to share the love of Jesus Christ in a practical way, even to strangers. For in so doing, we may even be sharing the love of Christ with angels. Touch us in a sincere way today. May we really practice this hospitality to others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.